Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology, an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators, educators, and learners like you are coming together to transform tomorrow. Boost your skills with tech boot camps and carve out a new career path through dynamic, future-forward courses. The world of work is evolving. Future-proof yourself with SAIT's School for Advanced Digital Technology. This episode is hosted by Christopher Drobot. Christopher is a passionate cheerleader for the potential of the Edmonton region. Although not directly an entrepreneur himself, his extensive experience in business operations and now mortgage lending help focus his excitement on the ideas that can see the city grow. He is involved in the push to bring a world-class aquarium to the city and is completing his MBA and, together with his wife, homeschools his two children. The parallels between entrepreneurialism and homeschooling have been many and he sees an overarching lesson in both. You have to create the world you wish to see. And in this episode, Christopher has a conversation with Dan Belostowski. Take it away, Chris. Hello and welcome to the Leaders, Innovators and Big Ideas podcast supported by Rainforest Alberta. I'm your host today, Christopher Drobot, and today we are joined by Dan Belostowski. Dan has made his mark in a number of industries, notably having been a co-founder of Bellinet Media, once the largest independent billboard network in Alberta. He's a venture partner with Panache Ventures, a founder of boutique investment firm Auto Capital, which focuses on tech and real estate startups, and to now where his current role as founder of Honest Door, which in many ways I would say seems to be a mix of all of the above. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, right on. Hey, uh, I'm now in the real estate space, uh, and so I was really excited about what Honestor does. I actually encountered it in my work. So maybe just you know, kind of go through some of how you got to there, and then tell us a bit about Honestor as well. Having been in the real estate world for a couple of years, kind of before jumping into Honestor, I think you know the real estate industry has been around forever. It hasn't changed that much. Not that I necessarily thought it drastically needed to change, but we did think that people didn't have enough data. So what we thought we'd create is a platform and then have us and other people keep populating this platform of data. So not only could everyone access this information, but they could also add to it and then it could become the you know world's largest real estate database. That was kind of the thought. Um, just because I always thought it was weird, really, in any industry, if 1% of the people or the people that work in that industry have more information than you. At that point in time, I think we were just trying to level the playing field and just make sure everyone knew what, you know, things were assessed for, if they didn't know, or, you know, what a property last sold for. Uh, and then we kind of kept spiraling with that. We added more and more data. And then we started using models to um, estimate your home price and estimate your rental price. And now there's a lot more estimations that we're creating on our site. Right. And you're right. Like the, the lack of information especially from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, like it, it changes dramatically, you know, whereas city of Edmonton or, you know, city of Vancouver might have really good information. Then you go into, you know, a small suburb and all of a sudden there's nothing. So it's, it's pretty important, I think, especially in, in some of those situations. It is pretty important. And if you don't have it, you don't really know 
what the value of your asset is, which is so important. Um, and so then you have to rely on appraisers or real estate agents. And not to say that you shouldn't be able to rely on them, but there should be a way that you should also be able to rely on yourself a little bit to get some sort of gauge on whether you're on the right track. For sure. How did you get to here from running a billboard company to starting a tech startup around real estate? Like that's, that's quite a journey. Yeah. So when we sold our billboard company, we had a bit of money and naturally at the time, you know, maybe I should have put it all into crypto, but um, I didn't know what to do with it. And you kind of just talk to people or talk to parents or whoever, and they're like, oh, put it into real estate, honey. It's such a great investment. Um, and it might be. And so we kind of just, you know, or I personally plunked a bunch of money into real estate and bought a whole bunch of homes uh, around Glenora, which is, you know, a pretty close neighborhood to downtown. And there was actually an LRT coming through there. So I was really concentrating my investments around the LRT stops thinking, Hey, maybe there'll be an LRT stop here one day and you can upzone for density. And that would be a good investment. So it's been okay. Um, but now, as you know, nowadays, there's so many great investments out there. And so there's so many different things to choose from, but anyway, so having bought all those homes and doing a couple development projects and rezoning projects, you know, I tended to learn a little bit about the whole process. And I just realized that development was cool, but you really needed to be able to scale it. And you really did have to some strong financial partners or, you know, access to capital is a big one. Or once you blow your access to capital, even if you got five times the leverage on it, um, eventually that comes to an end too, and you can't do unlimited projects. Um, so then I just kind of wanted to do something faster, but ultimately I did find a lot of holes in the real estate business, like in general, even on the residential side. And I thought the first thing that we would try to disrupt would be data and making data more accessible to people. And it seems like it's worked and people have really connected because we get so many users on our site. That's kind of where the thought process came in is kind of dabbling in real estate there for a couple of years and then saying, Hey, I think I know real estate a little bit. I think there's some holes here. Let's, let's try it out. Yeah. It, it's definitely like, it's not a frictionless process, uh, no matter how, smooth somebody tries to make it i see a lot of you know real estate agents or, or mortgage brokers or whatever that might um market themselves as being sort of a sort of a concierge service but the reason why that's even required is because it it is a process as a whole that has a lot of friction points like there's so many different steps that you have to go through to do it effectively and even even the simplest transaction can sometimes get kind of railroaded so i guess if you don't know where you're starting from with that information that you're providing it can maybe be a bit more difficult. Do you want, do you want to share a little bit about the type of information that you actually put out? Sure. And I was also going to just add to your point is that real estate has been so, so popular as an investment from venture capital, not just as regular investors investing into real estate and now real estate's just on fire in general, but because they know it's a, an older industry, there's the, you know, the big legacy brands are still there. And there's so many little things that you could disrupt along the way. Uh, you don't necessarily need to disrupt the whole process. I think you still need some assistant. I think realtors still have a place in the market. I think all those things, I just think that everything could be made so, so efficient. And that's why so many companies are attacking the real estate space. And I don't know, attacking is a bit aggressive, but I think it'll fundamentally change um, over the next, uh, you know, a couple of years here. Um, but what do we show on our site? So really what we are 
on the front end of things is a data aggregation place. So we are truly, and, and that's our aim for the entire country is to be the main place you go to for real estate data. So if you're looking for, hey, what's my house assessed at? Or what's what has it been assessed at over the last 10 years? You should be able to find that on our site or what's um, sort of any of the property details like beds, baths, square footage, land size. And then you should be able to get transactions. So you should be able to say, hey, for the last 100 years, how many times has my home transacted and at what price? So even in Glenora, when we poke around, you know, there's a great circle there, Alexander Circle, you could see these homes were built, you know, 100 years ago, and you could see that, you know, that one was bought for 60 grand. And then now it's, then it was 500 grand, and now it's $5 million. So you could really see the evolution of prices over a long period of time. Um, and then now we're starting to get into neighborhood trends of which neighborhoods have appreciated faster than others. And one of the main things we've now created where what we're proud of is the honest or price. So that's the value that we think your house is worth today. And that changes right now. It changes monthly, but we'd like it to change more frequently than that kind of comparing it to, you know, you could say like a stock price or something like that, because it used to be like, you know, your value of your home was the same for six months or a year. Anyways, right now the market's moving fast and there's so much information out there and everything that anyone does in a particular neighbor should change the value of your home. If your neighbors got way more than they should have, that should change the value of your home. If the LRT stop is scheduled to be built a block from your house, that should change the value of your home. If you know, you're gonna get a five plex right behind you, um, that should change the value of your home. So all these things should be taken in and those decisions and those announcements happen all the time. So everything's factored in there. So that's one thing that we're really leading. And so I think right now we have 4 million honest or valuations on our site. I think there's just over 50 million homes in the country. So our goal for the end of this year is to have as accurate of a valuation as we do now in Alberta across the entire country. Well, that's great. I, I heard in there, like there was kind of some pain points that you identified, but just because you identify a pain point doesn't necessarily mean that you know, like not everybody goes out and decides they're going to actually do something about it. So like what in actually inspired you to go off and do something about this instead of just, you know, complaining about it with some buddies over a beer? Yeah, I, I ask myself every day on why we went down this path. <laughs> yeah, like on and then, I mean, that's kind of like a general entrepreneurship question is um, I really did think for a long time on what I should do next. And I didn't try that many things, but I thought about them. It was kind of one of those things where you think about it for two or three weeks. And then if you still like it after two to three weeks, then you kind of take it to the next step. And then eventually it should die, right? Eventually, oh yeah, you're right. There is a big competitor. You can't do it for that reason. But this one was uh, pretty easy in the sense that you see other places have you know free data um, available for the masses. And, and our end goal isn't just the data game. And we can get into that later. But this one was pretty easy because Canada was a little bit behind. And so we thought, hey, why, why not? Um, and it didn't seem like we were like these big disruptors or innovators at the time. We were just like, hey, let's just put data on a map and see if anyone clicks on it. It was, it was pretty basic. And, uh, and now, yeah, a lot of people are clicking on it. A lot of people are clicking. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's great. So, so you just kind of alluded to something, uh, you know, the end goal. So like, wh what are the big rocks what, what's the big project that you're just like hey if we can achieve this we know we will have will have won or you know at least gotten sure. to where you wanted to get to so what's happening now that's pretty interesting is that we say hey look we've got this accurate honest door price and some people go to the site and they're like you know what no this is not what my house is worth it's worth way more than that for example we don't know everything right if you decided to 
gold, put gold plating on your windows in the basement and that improved your price. We wouldn't do that, but usually run of the mill more or less within a range, we're pretty good at it. Um, but what's happening now is that people, so many users are now using on a store that someone who thinks their home is undervalued wants to improve that price. And otherwise you couldn't, right? If you work with other data companies across the country, um, you couldn't say, hey, did you know I renovated my basement? Here's what it looks like. And here's who did it. And here's how much we spent. Um, they don't really care. And, but we do. So we now collect all that information to improve your honest door price. And that's really important because it gives us a new data set that no one else would have. And that's only achievable if our consumer site remains really popular. And so you need to have this wildly successful consumer site in order for people actually to care and give you all this information to fix their honest door price. And by fixing one honest door price, other people look and they do it, you know, consistently. And then, you know, if you have a couple honest door user submissions in every neighborhood, you can get a pretty good idea of what's going on in, in that entire neighborhood. So we think if we get the largest data set that's publicly available, um, and now we have this other data set that isn't available to anybody else, if we combine the two, we'll be able to have truly the largest real estate database and we'll be able to make, you know, really good judgment of what a property's worth. And that, that sort of, that level of transparency, I mean, can help people make big decisions about what, for a lot of people, I don't want to say everybody, but for a lot of people is one of the largest assets that they'll ever own. And so like, you know, I would say right now there's a complete lack of that transparency. They only know what something is worth once they actually go to market with it, as opposed to in the interim, because even the tax assessments that are out there aren't necessarily accurate per se, you know, there's kind of a, just an unspoken rule that it's not actually correct. So you're trying to add, add to, and actually get a lot closer to that number that it actually represents. Right. And there should be, and there's a lot more that we have on there. I mean, you can go on and get a pretty good picture of what's going on in your neighborhood. You can literally put in your neighborhood and go to the recent permits and you could say, Hey, look, they're, uh, they just got approved for a fourplex and that just got approved for a Starbucks and that building just got approved to put up 20 stories. And you can really get a gauge of like, hey, who's doing what? Or these people are improving their deck or putting in a hot tub. So you could really see, hey, look, this community is engaged. They're really doing these massive improvements to their neighborhood. Or you can say, hey, wow, look at all these towers being approved here. I wonder if we should still live here or maybe this would be a great place to live. Whatever your mindset might be, there's no place really like it online right now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So now that you've had some time, some runway to, to really establish yourself, establish what's going on, and maybe even understand what you're trying to create, how do you see this as contributing to the community as a whole? Like, how, how is this something that you find? Like, and I would say, when I say the community as a whole, you can make that in your answer as broad as you want it to be? Is it is it about, you know, your contribution to the community of, of Edmonton, to the community of you know, real estate professionals to the community of, of, of Canada, of, of Canadian real estate owners? Like what was your take on how you contributed there? Hmm. I guess our contribution is that, you know, we've put all the data together. So, I mean, like we've created some pretty serious tech on being able to take real estate data, which is different across every single data set that you collected on. Like, you know, address is spelled differently or in a different, or is written much differently than it is in another data set. I don't know if that makes sense, but we've created to be able to put it all together in one place. And it's actually quite a feat, like it's very difficult to do. So now someone doesn't have to go to like the city assess page and then go try to find the permits on another page and go try to find sold data 
somewhere else or try to get a partnership with a rental company to see like what homes are renting for. So it would just be hours upon hours of work for every single individual to be able to do that. And whether, as you know, like a mortgage broker, I mean, maybe you need to know the valuation really fast and snap a finger if this application is worth it to proceed um, or what other, you know, red flags there might be on a certain application. So anyway, I, I think there's a big value for the community because now they could all like we try to be this place of truth and we try to get it right and we're not charging anybody for it. So we think it's a pretty good value. For the yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So within that then, maybe just let's zero in a little bit more. It's just yeah. um, nobody, you know, the, the old adage, like nobody succeeds alone, right? Like it's, it's kind of, it takes a lot, it takes a, a community to grow a child, but I would say to grow a business as well. So like, how would you say you're kind of looped into the community as a whole and to some of the tech networks and community that, that's out there? Um, yeah, I mean, you got to get help wherever. I mean, even when I sold my one company and I thought I was going to jump into the entrepreneurial space and I know everything, I mean, things have changed so much and I didn't know anything about raising money. We raised money in a very different way than you know, we're raising money now. Literally, I talked to somebody and, you know, a friend was like, oh yeah, I think that guy would do it. You know, he ended up writing us a check. It was very casual at the time. There wasn't all these meetups, but you learn so much and the world's moving so fast. So like for us or any entrepreneur, you really got to stay connected. I think we first, when I launched, I rented some desk space at Startup Edmonton. Uh, wasn't the best at getting to know everyone there, but you know, you kind of show up to a few events and then you do the whole like pitch night. Again, it's a little uncomfortable, but kind of have to do it. And then you get a bunch of feedback. So yeah, those community events are, I don't know, corny for some people, but they're still pretty important to do. But I, I do have a lot of friends in, in the BC space as well that I've just gotten to know over the last couple of years who try to provide as, as good a feedback as they can. And, and sometimes too much feedback is also too much, right? It's almost like if someone told me about the digital billboard space, I'd be like, oh God, you know, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. And, it, and it's the same thing. Like once you know too much, you could kind of pick apart any company. So at some point, you don't want to know too much. You need to just uh, jump in and do it. But there's a lot of great, like, as you know, I mean, there's the rainforest, there's the A100 that you could go to, Startup Edmonton, Startup Calgary. So I think there's there's a ton of stuff that people can use. It seems even even through, you know, the pandemic that we've continued to, to work through, um, it, it seems that the tech scene itself in Alberta seems to be having... I don't know if resurgence is the right word, but there definitely seems to be some more momentum that seems to be building uh, just from all of the, the news articles that are coming, the launches that have happened, the uh, successful funding rounds that have taken place. Like there seems to be some energy, I would say, in the Alberta ecosystem. Is that kind of what you're seeing from, from your own uh, vantage point? For sure. I mean, 10 years from now, I mean, Edmonton's always kind of been behind. I mean, Vancouver and Toronto have had more tech companies, obviously, maybe the larger cities. Um, but we've also been very focused on oil and gas. But yeah, I think you've seen way more tech companies come into play. It's kind of been like the cool thing to do, uh, which also makes it, you know, that much more competitive. You know, 10 years ago, even before Startup Edmonton, I don't know, if, I don't even know if there are any uh, tech companies in Edmonton. But now I feel like a lot of people have tech companies or working on tech widgets on the side while they're doing computer science at school. So I do think everything's changed. I don't know, maybe it's because you know, oil and gas became less popular and oil prices went down and people had to diversify more money started flowing to the tech sector um, with like, you know, grants, getting people to try things. Um, I think that's great. Um, you know, I certainly believe in the tech industry long-term, especially here in Alberta. And so we're happy to be here. We kind of hope it keeps accelerating. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, the work that you do, I imagine there's probably some sort of machine learning aspect to it as well. And so like having the domain expertise, I guess you could say that exists, there's, there's a lot of depth of knowledge um, among that particular vein of the tech industry in the Edmonton area. Is that something you're tapping into or? Yeah, and we should probably tap into it more. But I mean, we have uh, one of the university professors who focuses on machine learning. We have uh, you know, a PhD student that we also have from the U of A. Uh, we're actually hiring another one. We have another one from the UFC. So you, um, there's, there's, there's smart people here. Um, certainly, you know, the machine learning school they have here is, uh, is one of the best in the world. And so you want to try to tap students who have experience in that. And uh, if you can at least give those students a place to land, um, that's really important. And so are internships. So, you know, you urge, urge all companies to take advantage of these internships, uh, make sure the students are comfortable and if they think it's a good place to be after they graduate, then maybe they would come work for you guys or for you, but um, at least for them to know that there's a place for them to land. Because usually all these people after the ML program will probably apply it at Google or something like that. And uh, yeah, you can keep some more people here. That's important. Yeah. Then we end up losing them. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the other thing too, I, even on that sort of topic, like you kind of mentioned about the community piece, but it, it's, it is about kind of some of that informal networking almost like you don't even realize that you're building those relationships during something like an internship where now you might know the next, you know, startup founder because they worked in your company as an intern, like it, it just builds this this network effect by having more uh, exposure across the, the industry, as it were. Definitely. The students should definitely go apply at all these places because there's a lot more of them than they know, um, and utilize their skills and kind of get exposed to the industry. So if you're yeah. a student, I think, uh, yeah, Startup Edmonton is probably a pretty good place to be. I think they probably have a pretty good pulse on every tech company in the city. Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. So uh, put yourself back then, you know, a few years and you're you're just about going to be starting up you know you're, you're, you've are you got this idea in your head about this real estate information portal you're just about yeah. to start it up what would you do differently and if you were actually um you know telling somebody telling yourself today how to start up a tech company what would you do i think you see a lot of things and i think everyone's um, kind of hypocritical i think when someone goes halfway in, right? They're still at a job and they're like, look, I'm working on this. It's getting a little bit of traction. What do you think? Then someone's like, hey, look, you really got to jump in with both feet. If you want to be serious, you know, go all the way. And then there's someone who jumped in with two feet. Like, okay, I have no job. I only have two months of runway. You know, is this going to succeed? And they're like, oh God, why'd you jump in before you knew that you had any traction? You should have waited. So I guess the answer is there, there is no good answer. I mean, I had the luxury that, you know, I had some money at that time already. So I was like, hey, let's, let's roll this thing out and, and let's see what happens. But if you don't, of course, you got to have to keep your job. But I think at some point, um, I've heard so many people, you know, even pitch to me and they're like, I've got this company it does this and that. Um, like, yeah, I still work there, but we're going to see what happens. And my partner, he still works at this other place. And then the truth is no investor is ever going to, wager any amount of money on someone who's working somewhere else. So you have to be stupid enough to jump in. And, and when you do that is, is kind of up to your own kind of personal situation. You obviously need some money in the bank and you shouldn't just jump in because there's another piece of advice. And anyone knows that in any industry is that everything takes way longer than it should. Uh, right. We thought we'd be Canada wide by now and, and we're not. Uh, and that sucks, but you know, we're still working on it and we think we figured out a path now to scale faster, but yeah, there's always roadblocks. 
and and same with if you're even more junior right you don't even see them when they come and like any real estate project right uh, we're gonna have this building up in, in two years you know five years later it might go up so yeah. uh, you see that kind of stuff all the time so yeah i don't know that's that's kind of the advice i, I do think though if you're a serious entrepreneur and you got a pretty good idea and you tested a little bit i really think that you shouldn't you know be half in half out and see if it works like if you want to try go try and if you don't don't it's kind of like you have to go all in and uh that's like with anything in life i was uh i was just listening to something earlier today and they just kind of referenced the idea of, of, of burning the boats as it were of you know knowing that you don't have a backup plan that actually pushes you to to perform and in in essence i, I think that's something that fuels a lot of people and i don't want to say it's the right answer for everybody uh i think you know having having a, a secondary uh income source can certainly be helpful for somebody who's trying to get off the ground but uh if, if you know that you don't have any choice but to succeed it certainly pushes you in a different way yeah and that's why you've seen so many people that have been at the bottom and been able to succeed from that and have these outrageously wildly successful careers um just because they've learned to be at the bottom and they've learned to crawl out of it it does feel pretty good to have some sort of supplementary income. It does take a bit of the pressure off. And sometimes that's necessary because this is a long game and you will get burnt out and you may not succeed. And, you know, for people to read about you in the paper on having this wildly successful career. So there's that part too, but you're right. Like maybe if I didn't have any other income, uh, maybe we would have succeeded more, right? Cause you would have, you know, just been that much more involved, but I'm as involved as you can be, but yeah, I'm still a believer that you got to go all in based on what you just said. Yeah. 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 Right on, right on. So, so through all of this, through, you know, all the, the ups and downs, the idealistic goals that maybe you haven't quite achieved yet, like what's the one big idea that just keeps you motivated moving towards that? Um, you mean with Honest Ore? Like what's the big thing? Yeah, sure. With Honest Ore or with, with even, you know, your own sort of journey as a, as a leader, as a, as a founder. Keep working until you get that Malibu house. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's that superficial, but yeah, I just think that it's easy and, and and maybe after this particular venture, you know, I might be done and kind of throw up the towel or put up the towel or whatever it's called there. But it's easy not to jump into things. And I still think like I had a lot of energy and I thought that, hey, look, I was, you know, got some success there, had a little success there. Um, you kind of want to keep really leveraging all of that and keep going all in um, just because some people aren't like the perfect operators. And certainly I had a lot of people around me, you know, that even got us to this place. But um, I just think that we have the ability this time to build a really big company. And I think that's what I really want to do. I think we built big companies before, uh, but they were kind of like province wide, you know, even a bit of Western Canada. Um, so this time I think we have a path to build a really large Canadian company. And I think we even have a path to go into the United States and be successful there. So I think that, in my mind, I may never have an opportunity like this again, right? We have a team of just about 10 people. We have funding from some amazing people. We're going back and we'll be raising again for quite a bit of a larger round now. So that's really what drives me is that there's, you know, investors on the line, employees on the line. I'm here. I want to succeed. So that may never happen again. So I think that we don't really even want to sell out, you know, today or, or tomorrow. I think that we have we're in a spot where we can build something pretty awesome so that's kind of what keeps me up and keeps yeah, me up. yeah 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 the big the big vision for yeah. for what it could be i don't know that that's good though like i i think um and hey you know what there's nothing wrong with uh, the malibu house like come on <laughs> 
There isn't anything wrong, but yeah. Yeah, cool things like that could come as a perk, but you know, and I've kind of sold like my companies before and, and maybe earlier than I would have wanted, but it's also kind of good to take some money off the table early on. But this one, I don't want to take money off the table. I think we're, uh, we're going all the way. Yeah. 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 That's great. Well, Dan, any, uh, any, maybe last, last words of advice for any of our listeners, if, if they're thinking about going down a, a similar path. Yeah, sure. If you're an entrepreneur and you're listening and you know, not that I'm the best entrepreneur in the world, but I do think that you should definitely try to talk to people. But I think a lot of people, like even right now, I mean, people try to talk us out of a lot of things or even early on. I mean, you might think like, oh, you trust your uncle and you go to your uncle and he says, you know, this is a stupid idea. And then you're like, oh, well, I like my uncle. And he said, it's stupid. So maybe I shouldn't do it. Um, that makes sense. And, and you should never, or if you go to someone who you thought was going to give you 50 grand to start your idea, and then all of a sudden you go to him and he says, no, I'm not going to give you 50 grand. You're like, oh, well, you know, now my career is over. You said you were going to do it. And you kind of start blaming the other people for that. But then if you think about it, you know, if Serena Williams didn't get that tennis racket, I don't know what's a great example. Like they still would have been the best. If like, uh, I still believe that if you're destined to win and your mindsets to win, you're going to find a way to win. It's not going to be like, oh, well, that person when I was 25 didn't give me the 50K and that's why I'm not as, no, like there, there isn't, there isn't an answer for that, or there isn't an explanation on why you didn't succeed. Like you either will or you won't, regardless of kind of what happens in between. Um, yeah, it might be a setback for a month or two or three, but you should still be able to kind of keep going. So that's really it. Just don't, don't blame anyone and don't over listen to anyone because no one knows your particular business and your vision as, as well as you do, unless you can articulate it beautifully. And that's always really hard to, to do for anyone at any level. So the goal is that you gotta, you gotta just do it. Um, but you should do a lot of research and you should talk to domain experts. That's the big important thing because even when you talk to a venture capitalist who you might really respect, they don't know, your business they don't know what your team's working on day to day they kind of know oh yeah prop tech real estate space i you know i saw a company doing this for real estate agents out in toronto but they don't really know so unless like you're taking advice from someone who really knows the intricacies of your business just don't take their advice or uh you know be able to handle it if it's not you know super positive yeah yeah right on but and i that's fantastic advice i mean uh your uncle may not be the uh <laughs> may not be the domain expert so, right. you know, taking all of that with that grain of salt, but knowing at your core that you have something that you want to bring to the world and you ha you're the one who has to bring it there, I think is, is really the, the driving force that I heard right there. So that's, that's good. Yeah. Good advice. Dan, uh, thank you so much for joining us today here on the, on the call and, and, you know, sharing a bit of where you're going and kind of what honest door is is bringing to the world and you know uh, and a little bit about your your journey as well as an entrepreneur is much appreciated thanks chris hope so if you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the rainforest social contract become part of the inclusive silo busting sector agnostic all industry open sourced ego shrinking ecosystem building entrepreneur focused wide open social barrier smashing community known as rainforest alberta this episode is brought to you by sates school for advanced digital technology an innovation hub disguised as a post-secondary institution where creators educators and learners like you are coming together to transform tomorrow. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan.
please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.